0: We're taking time each week to look together at the Old Testament books of 1st and 2nd Kings. And this morning we're going to arrive at the halfway point of King Solomon's reign in Israel. It's not strictly halfway in terms of time. He reigned for 40 years and what we're going to read happened in the 24th year of his reign. But we can call this halfway because... The first major project of his reign is finished. The temple has been built that consumed the early years of Solomon's reign. So it's halfway in that sense and also because God appears to Solomon a second time to recommission him for the next part of his reign. Back in chapter 3, we heard how God first appeared to Solomon at a place called Gibeon. And in a dream... God said something amazing. He said to Solomon, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. An amazing thing to say. And out of all the things Solomon could have asked for, what he did ask for was the ability to rule God's people well. He said to God, I'm only a little child. Meaning that's how he felt. And do not know how to carry out my duties, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people. And God said to him, I will. And I'll also give you what you didn't ask me for, both wealth and honor. And then following that encounter with God, we were given evidence that God did keep his promise. We've seen over the last few weeks Solomon's wisdom in action in various ways, working to give justice to everyone in his kingdom, even the very lowest in his kingdom, the despised people, even to a prostitute whose baby had been stolen. We've also seen Solomon organizing Israel in a way that brought prosperity to the whole country. We were told that under his reign, the people of Judah and Israel ate, drank, and were happy. They lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. That's a picture of prosperity in Israel. And we heard too about the breadth of Solomon's wisdom, not just in providing justice good government, but in writing wise proverbs, guidance for life writing songs, and understanding the natural world, plant life and animals. Then in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Solomon focus his wisdom and his energy on building God's temple. It was a place of magnificence and exquisite craftsmanship. And last week we heard Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple. Acknowledging God's greatness and asking God to hear and answer the prayers of his people. And this morning we're going to rejoin the story as the first half of Solomon's reign comes to an end. We'll hear the climax of that. Then we'll hear God's second appearance to Solomon to give what amounts to a half-time talk to the king. And then we'll get a glimpse into the second half of his reign as that begins. And this passage will give us a chance not just to think about Solomon, but also to think about our own lives, and maybe evaluate our own lives a little bit. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Kings chapter 8. In the Church Bible, it's page 346, or in the the black cover, larger print Bibles, page 533. We're going to pick up where we left off last time, so chapter 8, verse 54, and we'll take the time to read through to the end of chapter 9. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out towards heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice, saying, Praise be to the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us, as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him, to walk in obedience to him, and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord your God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. On that same day, the king consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord. And there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings. Because the bronze altar there that stood before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings. So Solomon observed the festival at this time and all Israel with him. A vast assembly. People from Lebo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. They celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days and seven days more. Fourteen days in all. And the following day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king and then went home, joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this people? People will answer because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshipping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. At the end of 20 years during which Solomon built these two buildings, the Temple of the Lord and the Royal Palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and juniper and gold he wanted. But when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these you've given me, my brother? He asked. And he called them the land of Kabul. And name they have to this day. Now Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. Here is the account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, the terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and his or Megiddo and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer. He had set it on fire. He killed its Canaanite inhabitants and gave it as a wedding gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon rebuilt Gezer. He built up lower Beth Horon, Baalath, and Tadmor in the desert within his land as well as all his store cities and the towns for his chariots and for his horses, whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and throughout all the territory he ruled. There were still people left from the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These people were not Israelites. Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land, whom the Israelites could not exterminate to serve as slave labor, as it is to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of any of the Israelites. They were his fighting men, his government officials, his officers, his captains, and the commanders of his chariots and charioteers. There were also the chief officials in charge of Solomon's projects, 550 officials supervising those who did the work. After Pharaoh's daughter had come up from the city of David to the palace Solomon had built for her, he constructed its terraces. Three times a year, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord, burning incense before the Lord along with them, and so fulfilled the temple obligations. King Solomon also built ships at Eze and Geber, which is near Elath and Edom and the shore of the Red Sea. And Hiram sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to serve in the fleet with Solomon's men. They sailed to Ophir and brought back 420 talents of gold, which they delivered to King Solomon. This is God's word. And this passage that we've just read divides into three sections. It starts with a moment of clarity. It moves into a challenge. And it ends with a report on the second half of Solomon's reign. But first of all, as this begins, we're able to enjoy... A moment of clarity. What matters is the faithfulness and fame of God. Solomon has just prayed a great prayer to God. We looked at it last week. And now as our passage begins, he rises from his knees. He turns to the whole assembly of Israel, apparently a vast crowd of people. And he says to them, what matters is the faithfulness and the fame of God. He says to them, chapter 8, verse 56, we're here today because God has kept his promises to Moses to give Israel a land of her own, to give her rest in that land. Not one word of those good promises has failed. And what we need most today, Solomon says, is the continuing faithfulness of God. Verse 57, what we need is for him never to leave us, Never to forsake us. To uphold our cause. At the end of verse 59. According to each day's need. Notice the combination there. God is the one who keeps his big, big promises of land and rest. And he's the God who cares for the needs of each day. Dale Ralph Davis puts these things together for us when he says this. Summing up Solomon's prayer. Yahweh is the Lord of the last day and also of every day. He will bring the consummation of his kingdom at the last, but he will not forget you in the third week of September. He cares about what each day requires for you. Whether you and I are thinking about the distant future, or about the needs of today, right now, what matters most is the faithfulness of God. The key thing, whatever our situation is, is not our circumstance. It's not our own resources or our own strength. The key thing is God's character. He is the faithful one. And here, as Solomon leads the whole assembly in worship, Solomon is able to see that. This is a moment of clarity for him. And sometimes, you and I probably have those moments. Maybe when we're here together, listening to God's Word or singing His praises together, and we just see it. Of course, our God is reliable. That truth towers over everything else. It puts everything else in its place. Every worry, every decision we have to make, every unresolved issue in our lives, we know there is one reality that makes it all bearable for us. One reality that enables us to sing praise even when life is rocky for us. That reality is the unchanging faithfulness of God to his people. And here in this moment of clarity for Solomon, he also sees something else. He sees that God's goodness is not just a beautiful truth for us to enjoy. It's a truth for the whole world. As Solomon speaks about God upholding the cause of his people, look at the reason he gives for this in verse 60. He's asking God to do this so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. As Solomon thinks about God's faithfulness, he's not just pleased about it for his own sake. He's pleased because others will see the Lord is God. As Israel's God continues to keep his promises, his fame will spread and more people will come to see this is a God like no other. There is no one to compare with Him. And again, sometimes in our worship together, aren't we brought to the point where we're not the center of things anymore? Our prayer is not just, God help me. It's, God help me, and then use my situation to spread your fame. Make my life a testimony to your goodness so that others will know there is no one like you. This is a great moment in Israel. Because not only Solomon has clarity on what matters, it seems everyone does. Look at verse 62. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Then down in the middle of verse 63, so the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. And again in verse 65. So Solomon observed the festival at that time and all Israel with him. A vast assembly. People from Lebo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. They celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days and seven days more. Fourteen days in all. On the following day he sent the people away. They blessed the king and then went home joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. Lebo Hamath is in the far north and the Wadi of Egypt is in the far south of the country. So, in other words, this vast assembly has gathered from all over. One writer says, few moments in biblical history surpass this scene in hope, gladness and glory. The whole celebration is so historically and symbolically important that the festival lasts 14 days. This entire event has served to unify Israel as one people under one king serving one true God. The first half of Solomon's reign has gone so well. It's come here to a beautiful climax. Things are looking so good. And after the people have gone home joyful and glad, God then appears to Solomon a second time. The beginning of chapter 9 wants us to see this is a follow-up to the first time years before. Have a look at chapter 9, verse 1. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, The Lord appeared to him a second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. God's first appearance to Solomon came when he was young and inexperienced and very unsure of himself. God's second appearance comes when Solomon has a worldwide reputation and fantastic wealth. He is at the pinnacle of success. And at the pinnacle of true wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon himself wrote this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. And isn't that what we've seen from Solomon? First in building the temple as a sign that God's throne is higher than Solomon's throne. Then in his prayer of dedication, and just now in his words to Israel about God's faithfulness and God's fame, Solomon has been submitting all his ways to God. And now the temple and the royal palace are finished. And in this pause, before the second half begins, God comes to him with a challenge. God says to him, walk on in faithfulness, integrity, and uprightness. Look at chapter 9, verse 3. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Notice what God is saying. My faithfulness is not in doubt. My eyes and my heart are with my people. What about you, Solomon? As for you, what are you going to do? God is going to honor his commitment. He will establish an eternal kingship from David's line. That's what he promised years before. But what about Solomon? What about Solomon's descendants? Will they walk on with God? Or will they turn away from it? God's eternal plans will be fulfilled. But, verse 6, If you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of among all peoples. this temple is a heap of rubble. God is faithful, but he makes no guarantees to those who turn away from him. He reject his faithfulness. God's eyes and his heart are with his people, but when an individual or when a generation turn away, they will suffer consequences. In this case, God mentions exile from the land of Israel and the loss of Solomon's glorious temple. God is saying, Solomon, don't be complacent. I have blessed you. I have given you great insight. You've just led Israel in a momentous time of worship. Now go on in the same way. Whatever you do, do it with faithfulness to me. Do it with integrity of heart and uprightness. Do it in conformity to my word. And the thing for you and I to notice is, within those boundaries, Solomon basically has a free hand. The temple has been built. That was a specific thing God had given Solomon to do. But now... God does not give Solomon another list of projects. He says, essentially, go, Solomon, and flourish in the world. Be creative with your projects, your initiatives, your alliances. Go and be a great king. You have a free hand. Just make sure that whatever you put your hand to, you do it with faithfulness to me, with integrity of heart and uprightness in conformity to my word. And that essentially is what God says to you and me. Go and flourish in the world. God does not say every Christian's life should look like this, with time spent in exactly this way. God does not say every Christian should follow this particular career path. If God wanted us all to be full-time preachers or evangelists, he would have said so. But he's given us a free hand. Go use the gifts I've given you. Take up the opportunities that are in front of you. And do what you do with faithfulness to me, with integrity of heart and uprightness, in conformity to my word. Or in the words of the New Testament, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's not putting a limitation on what we do, but it does put a condition on what we do. It must be done in a way that glorifies God, not in a way that dishonors him. Or in another New Testament passage. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. If We think back to Solomon's situation. He's just led one of the greatest worship services in Israel's history. He's had that moment of clarity. Together with all Israel, he's seen clearly that what matters is the faithfulness and fame of God. And now God says, go into the second half of your reign and live in the light of that. In all your decisions and relationships and business. Putting that in terms of our situation today, we might say, when you have these moments of clarity during worship on Sunday, when you grasp God's goodness and worthiness, don't leave that behind you. Carry it home with you. Carry it into Monday morning. Carry it with you through the week. Let it guide all of your words and your attitudes. Let it direct the way you go about things. Walk on in faithfulness, integrity and uprightness. Now, if we're going to think about this, some examples would be helpful for us. And we're given some examples in the rest of chapter 9. Or actually, what we're given is a report on Solomon's continuing reign from this point. And what we have to ask is, do we see faithfulness, integrity, and uprightness as we look at this? The second part of chapter 9 is really a series of snapshots just laid side by side. Details about various things Solomon got up to in the second half of his reign. Now they might seem random, but remember what we said when we started looking at kings. First and second kings deal with roughly 400 years of history. They cover that in just a few pages. 64 pages in my Bible. That means... Lots and lots and lots of things have been left out. It's very selective. Nothing is included in this account unless the writer of Kings thinks it's pretty important. Then keep in mind the challenge God has just given to Solomon. The details of chapter 9 come right after God's challenge. We're supposed to consider them in the light of God's challenge. Is Solomon doing what he does here in faithfulness, integrity, and uprightness? And commentators have pointed out the stuff that's recorded here, it's the kind of things that kings did in the ancient world. They made agreements with other kings for trade. They built cities. They worshipped God. But the question for us is, How does Solomon go about these things? And I would suggest to you, he is not going about them terribly well. Not in the light of what God has just said to him. Not from the point of view of faithfulness, integrity and uprightness. Look at chapter 9, verse 11. King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and juniper and gold he wanted. But when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these you've given me, my brother, he asked. And he called them the land of Kabul, and name they have to this day. Now Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. There are a couple of issues here. First of all, why is Solomon selling off parts of the promised land? This clearly is a seal. Hiram paid 120 talents of gold for these towns. That's a lot. The footnote in the NIV tells us that's about four metric tons of gold. We're not told why Hiram wanted the land, but we do know Solomon had no business selling it. It was God's gift to Israel in perpetuity. It wasn't Solomon's to sell. But he made the agreement, and apparently he was claiming to give it at a reduced rate because of Hiram's help with the temple. But then having made the agreement to sell it, Solomon gives Hiram Hiram land that is good for nothing. That's what Hiram calls it when he sees it. Kabul. So we have to ask, is Solomon going about his business with faithfulness, integrity, and uprightness? He's selling something that isn't his. And if he's not cheating his friend Hiram, he's at the very least misleading him. Then in the verses that follow, we hear about Solomon's use of forced labor. We've been told before about Solomon's use of conscription. Back when chapter 5 was dealing with the temple, we learned that Solomon called up 30,000 men and he sent them to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month so that they spent one month in Lebanon and then two months at home. That was a workable arrangement for the men of Israel. It wasn't massively burdensome. One month on, two months off to keep up with your farm or your business back at home. But it seems that over time, as Solomon moves on to other building projects, he begins to turn the screw a good bit more. He does make things burdensome for his people. We will be told that directly a few chapters on from this. But here the writer flags it up to us by mentioning Pharaoh in the same breath as Solomon. We hear about Pharaoh attacking a city called Gazer. And then verse 17 says, Solomon rebuilt Gazer. He built up lower Beth Horon, Balath and Tadmor in the desert within his land, as well as all his store cities and the towns for his chariots, for his horses, whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and throughout all the territory he ruled. There's only one other place in the Bible where we hear about someone building store cities. That is in Exodus chapter 1, describing a much earlier Pharaoh who enslaved the Israelites and oppressed them with forced labor. I think this echo of Israel's slavery in Egypt is making a very deliberate comparison. And it's not a good one as far as Solomon's approach is concerned. After his death, the Israelites will say, Solomon put a heavy yoke on us. So we can ask again, is Solomon ruling his people with faithfulness, integrity, and uprightness? Then down in verse 25... We're told that three times a year, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord, burning incense before the Lord along with them, and so fulfilled the temple obligations. Solomon continues to fulfill his obligations spiritually. But we might wonder if it's all beginning to get a bit formal. We might begin to wonder if he's just doing the bare minimum. After all, the book of Leviticus actually lists seven annual worship festivals. Solomon fulfills his obligations with three. The writer of Kings leaves us to decide, is Solomon walking on in faithfulness, integrity and uprightness? Is he living like a man who knows that what matters is the faithfulness and the fame of God? We might wonder about that. And next week we're going to come back to these questions. But for now, let's turn these questions on ourselves for a moment. Let's each of us ask ourselves, do I take these truths that I celebrate loudly here on a Sunday and do I carry them with me into the rest of the week? Or do I leave it all here when I go? Do I live by a different set of principles the rest of the week? Do I show integrity in my dealings with other people? Or do I ban the rules Do I go back on my word? Do I try to turn everything to my own advantage? If people work for me or if they work with me, do I treat them fairly or harshly? Do I live for the glory of God or the glory of me? Now, it's true that none of us are exactly in Solomon's shoes. But as God's people today, we are called to live for God. We are called to take the truths that we celebrate here and live by them the whole week. So let's take a moment to think quietly and honestly about these things. Maybe to be honest with God about changes that we need to make. Things that we've been leaving here when we ought to have been taking them with us and living them out. So before we pray together, let's have a moment of quiet where each of us can think and speak to God quietly ourselves. Father, along with Solomon, we... Acknowledge that our greatest need is for you never to leave us and never to forsake us. And we thank you that because of Jesus, you never will. We thank you that when we put our trust in him and what he has done, we are ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven. We have Jesus' promise that I am with you always to the very end of the age. We thank you that we can rely on you for each day's need, whatever it is. And we want to respond to that. In response, we want to live lives of faithfulness, integrity, and uprightness. We want to live for you, wherever we happen to be, whatever it is that we're doing. And that will be different for all of us. But we want to live for your glory. And we ask you to help us. Amen. we want to sing a song now that is really a prayer for God to give us that help in each of our situations. The words might not be familiar to you, but the tune I think will be. So let's just see if we can pray this ourselves as we sing it. Show me how to stand for justice.